And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to another edition of Atlantic and Coastal, the Athletics ACC podcast. I am Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football beat writer, but I do basketball podcasts in the offseason with the help of people who know basketball very well. This is the month of March. Did I say that right? I think that's how the saying goes. It might be trademarked, the other one, so I don't want to infringe upon that. We are coming down the stretch here in the ACC. Uh, so we're going to talk a little basketball. Getting down to the, the stretch run here. It's getting very interesting in the league. Brendan Marks, our UNC and Duke basketball writer, joining us as usual. Special guest this week as well, Brian Hamilton, senior writer at The Athletic, uh, covers college basketball for us. He covers all sorts of big-time basketball, You know, wrote about Baylor, Kansas this week. He's written about Alabama uh, recently, a good story there. He's going to slum it with us this week and talk about the lowly ACC. Uh, Brian, thank you for coming on the show. There's always good stuff to talk about with ACC basketball. So there's something good. Find something to talk about. Actually, good or bad, there's always something to talk about. So it's perfect. Well, good and bad is the, the great way to describe the first game we're going to talk about this week. North Carolina beats Florida State on Saturday, 79-70. to 70. Uh, The Tar Heels looked dead in the water at halftime. It was 41-29. to 29. Uh, they were down at 16 at one point. Florida State, it looks like it's a coronation at that point. They're just going to wrap up the ACC or put it out of reach where nobody can can get them. Uh, and then, as usual, as we all expected, Walker Kessler leads UNC uh, back from the brink. Uh, Brandon, you were there. Uh, this is known as the Walker-Kessler game. How big was this turnaround? Yeah, I mean, you, you really can't say enough about it. I mean, for, for UNC being down 16 points at one point in the first half, uh, th this was, I mean, this was objectively some of the worst basketball UNC has played all season in the first half. The the 25% shooting percentage is the third worst and a half in the history of the Dean Smith Center. So like historically, historically bad basketball. Um, and then, yeah, you know, Walker Kessler just went full ISO nuclear God mode and said, give me the ball. I'm going to score. I'm, you know, get on my back and let's go. And that's exactly what happened. You know, he had, I believe, 14 of his 20 points after halftime. Uh, and, you know, UNC had erased a 12-point halftime deficit in a matter of minutes. So uh, it was shocking to witness in real time. You know, we were talking before we came on the air. At, at halftime, myself and the other reporters were sort of looking around at each other like, all right, well, this is, this is the end of UNC season. And then 20 minutes later, uh, not only was it not on life support anymore, but you know, I, I think the Tar Heels with this win are probably pretty fairly and comfortably into the NCAA tournament field. Yeah, Kessler, 20 points, eight rebounds, four blocks for a guy who, who's averaging, what, like four point something points a game this year. I don't think anybody expected that. I don't think anybody expected UNC to go 27 for 30 from the free throw line. Another big thing that brought them back. Uh, Brian, I'm curious. Uh, I saw this tweet from Brandon in the, in the middle of the game. He says, done trying to figure out this UNC team. Uh, as somebody who has a little bit broader national perspective, can you make any sense of this UNC team or, or know how they're going to play on a game-to-game -game basis? Yeah, I mean, they seem a lot like other teams that have a lot of youth this year, and that's problematic. I mean, we've seen it across the country with – I mean, it's almost like clockwork. If you have a team that's very young because of how chopped up this year, you're going to have just maddening spurts where the basketball is inexplicable uh, just because you haven't had the preparation or you haven't had, you know, the time to, to the reps to build the chemistry, to build the consistency. The, the, the teams that have, you know, had guys who have been around, who've been through the ringer a couple of times are the ones that are really good. 
uh, you know, Baylor was unbelievable, but you just saw what Baylor looks like after a 21 day COVID related pause. So just think about that multiplied by like a million with teams who get chopped up and don't have the experience and overall talent that a Baylor does. I mean, you're going to, you're going to hit some bumps. So it's a long way of saying like, this is not terribly unexpected with North Carolina. I, I like the fact that they are, have been and seem to be emerging lately as a, a pretty good defensive team. I mean, they're top 25 nationally right now. Like most games, and especially in the second half on Saturday, they can guard. They can, they can create problems for people. They can take you out of your stuff. That's auspicious for me because you don't necessarily know if those teams that have some inexperience in the rotation are ever going to really dig in and, and find an identity on that side of the ball or if they're just going to you know, just, just go back to like, you know, AAU style, go get, go get a shot um, type basketball they've done for most of their lives. So the fact they're playing defense, I, th- I think bodes well. I mean, that's going to at least, that's for sure going to give them a chance. I mean, it, it, that Walker Kessler won them the game on Saturday. That's something they can, ha- they can hang their hat on here down the stretch. That's like, that's why I would be not confident, but like, like kind of like Brendan said, I would be, you know, I, I'd look at it, give them the benefit of the doubt. They have the benefit of the doubt for making the NCAA tournament right now. Yeah, I think so too. And, and, and I mean, to turn around and win this game after they invite Marquette to come down in the middle of the week and then lose that game badly. I mean, they did not look good uh, from the outset of that. That is a really interesting turnaround. Uh, Roy Williams, 900 wins in his career. Brian, help me put that in perspective. Of how impressive of an accomplishment is that? I, I, it's funny because, you know, you see Roy after losses and you, and you know, he takes it bad. He's got the hangdog look on him and you know, he's, it, you can tell it grinds against him. And then you realize that he's lost like 200 times in his career. <laughs> like, it's, I mean, the, 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 the amount of times he's won compared to the amount of times he's lost is like, like it, it, either, either you should be able to brush it off or maybe it does hurt even more because you so very much expect that you are going to win the game because you've won 900 and lost like 200 something times against that. Yeah. I mean, you can talk about the programs he's been at. I mean, Kansas and North Carolina, there's, I mean, I think to put it mildly, there are some built in advantages to being the head coach at Kansas and North Carolina in terms of the advantage, the resources you have to be able to win a lot more than you lose. But it also, you know, says a lot about sort of his ability to a attract really good players, B coach up really good players who probably think they're pretty good. I mean, I think that's a, that's a skill that you're going to, you need to get really good players to win a bunch of games at Kansas and North Carolina, given the expectations, those really good players probably think they're really, really good at basketball and, and know everything there is to know, you've got to bring them in and teach them that they don't and get that message across and get them to be a coherent unit that can win you 900 basketball games across your career. So, so that's, that's number one. Then number two, I think is handling the pressure. I mean, you're, you, you can be at lower tier jobs and kind of win and, and nobody's paying attention. There's not a time in Roy Williams head coaching career where the entire universe hasn't been watching what he's doing as a head coach. So be able to sort of be able to, to manage that and have a consistent personality and have a consistent message and culture for as long as he has and as effectively as he has is, is awfully impressive. North Carolina. I looked at the uh, latest bracketology by Jerry Palm at CBS. He's the one who he updated this morning has North Carolina as an 11 seed. Uh, so I'd, they're in, but maybe not comfortably in at this point. Uh, Brandon, big game tonight at Syracuse. Uh, UNC cannot go there and lose this game. I mean, they can't let their guard down at this point. I, I just checked. They're one-and-a-half-point favorites in this game. Uh, this would be a bad one to lose, right? Would not be ideal. No, certainly not. Um, but, but you know, I think, the, like Brian said, you have to be encouraged, I think, by the way UNC is playing defensively. Um, and, you know, this is a team, we, you know, you can talk all you want about the size in the front court. You know, we know that they go four deep there. Um, you know, Kessler, now that he's... The reason he hasn't played as much all season is because he's been working his way back since September from two separate individual 14-day quarantine periods. You know, the kid was locked in. They, they took him out of his dorm, put him in a hotel room, and said, here, you know, you're basically here for a month. Um, and so he's been working his way back from that conditioning-wise, classroom-wise. But no, I, I think 
you could talk about the front court. You can talk about, you know, the youth, the inexperience, the up and downs. But, you know, frankly, this is a game that UNC should win, too. You know, Syracuse's zone is not good. UNC has a gigantic size advantage. Um, I think Syracuse's guards, especially of late, you know, you look at like a Joe Girard, he is as interested in playing defense as I was waking up at 7 a.m. to take my dog for a walk in the rain, um, which is not at all. So I think UNC should win this game. UNC has every opportunity to win this game. And again, you know, I hear 11 seed. I, I think that that's honestly maybe underselling this team a little bit. You know, they have played really well since the calendar flipped to 2021. The Marquette loss is a terrible look. Uh, optically for Roy Williams as well, being the one to schedule that game to go out of his way to pin an extra loss into the into the midweek you know schedule for UNC. But no, I, I think UNC will win this game. I think that they have every ability to. They should win this game. And if UNC does win this game, as I expect them to, um, I really don't think that there is much argument about whether or not this team deserves to be in the NCAA tournament. Well, whenever we make a bold proclamation on this show, like they should not lose this game, that almost guarantees that they will. They're going to lose by game. twenty now. And exactly. Sound yeah. like idiots the next day. I, I Brian think- is Brian is familiar with curses as well, so he's, <laughs> I'm like, he's I'm, a welcome I'm like, guest. <laughs> yeah, I'm like the Undertaker man. Like if you see me walking into your arena, like you need to run the other way, basically, or just I, I don't. I honestly don't know how I get to do my job because my track record precedes me, and people should immediately reject any story pitches that I that I give them. Well, you'll fit in perfectly on this podcast because we do that on a weekly basis. Uh, Fred, I thought it was interesting. You said you think that that UNC should be higher, uh, maybe considered higher than 11C. That might be a good way to structure the rest of this podcast because I was going to go down uh, where uh, these teams are in this bracketology. First of all, I love that they call it bracketology and it's just been accepted, like mixology, like, well, it's just a major or something like that that you have at college. Uh, To transition to the other side of that game, Florida State. Jerry Palm has them as a three seed in the most recent uh, bracketology update. Uh, this is a team that I think we can all agree is going to win the ACC regular season. They have they play against Boston College at home and at Notre Dame. Uh, I think they'll win those. I think they'll. What still, a gauntlet! Yeah, I think they will still win the <laughs> league here. Uh, Jerry Palm has them as a three seed uh, in his update. Uh, too high or too low, uh, Brian? I'll start with you on this one. Man, I don't know. That seems just about right to me. I'm kind of looking at just sort of refreshing my memory here early on my Monday morning when my third grader went back to school for the first time in about a year. Um, I think that's about right. You know, I, it, it's it's a Florida State team. Like I go back, I remember when Notre Dame was actually better at basketball and was like a number two seed playing Florida State in the second round at the United Center a few years ago. And he just them in waves was just tough, like super aggressive, athletic guys, and just it, it looked like they belonged more than 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 the number two seed in, in that region did. And I, I see a lot of that Florida State and this Florida State. I don't think that they are, you know, to this point, to maybe like you know in the number one seed conversation. Obviously, um, three sounds about right. I mean, you probably can make an argument for two that's relative to what happens down the stretch. Uh, for an Illinois, for an Ohio State, for an Alabama, but three seems right. I mean, I I, I don't know. It's, it's not a hot take to say that it's, it seems right about to put them at a three. I, th- I think that's that's a valid spot to put them. You know, I it, it's interesting because their offense is really good. Um, they're going to be the the advantage they'll have in the NCAA tournament when everything is so condensed and everything is sort of rushed through is that depth. Um, if, if a guy, if it's not working for a guy, they can just go to the, and they have a lot of guys to go to. So, you know, a three seed seems about right for where they might be right now for, if you're a slot in the tournament, I, I do like the depth. I do like teams with depth better this year. I know the break between games is basically the same as it always is in terms of, you know, first round, second round and so forth. But, um, I just think being in that condensed bubble ish type concept, if you have the depth. Uh, I think that that's that's good. It's going to be hard on guys. It's going to be hard on these kids being like hotel rooms, you know, by themselves. Some guys are not going to be able to deal with that as well as others. So if you have more guys that you can rely on, that's that's probably a good thing. So Florida State, Florida State might be a three seed right now, but I could kind of see them being set up to be really good in this NCAA tournament. Brennan, you saw them up close. Uh, they were without MJ Walker in that game, correct? He played. Oh, he did. Just okay. Just uh, not not tremendously well. Okay. You know? <laughs> but I mean, I think that's the. But but it's a great point you bring up, Andy, because 
you know, MJ Walker is, is, I would say, probably like in a vacuum, he would be the guy you would consider to be Florida State's alpha. I don't think Scotty Barnes has quite earned that pedigree. Um, I mean, he's a great player and he's going to be a great NBA player, but I don't think he's quite to that level. You know, he's not going to shoot you out of the gym like MJ can. Um, but yeah, I think three seed is fair. And I think that a, t- a run to a two seed is not unrealistic just because, you know, the ACC, you know, say what you want about it. It's not as good as it always is, but they're going to have an opportunity in the ACC tournament to sort of, you know, prove what they're made of. And, you know, Brian talks about their offense. I, I think it is. It's good. I don't think it's quite as good as last year. You know, you lose guys like Patrick Williams and Trent Forrest and Devin Vassell, and, you know, naturally you're going to take a step back in that regard. But, yeah, I mean, Florida State basically doesn't play anyone shorter than 6'4". You know, it's like the opposite of a roller coaster. Like, instead of you have to be this tall to ride, like you have to be this tall to play. Um, And 6'4 is the cutoff, which is absurd. They've got – I think at one point against UNC, they had four different dudes who were at least 6'8 on the court. Like, what are you supposed to do against that if you're coming off of, you know, just having played a game two days ago? Like Brian said, you can't match up with that. So, I think this is a team that, yeah, they're going to win the ACC. Um, The the swing skill for me and the thing that was sort of weird about the UNC game was this is one of those older, experienced teams. I mean, these are grown men. And down the stretch, they did not play with the same – polished nature that I think we have come to expect from them and that we've come to expect from Leonard Hamilton's teams in the past. Um, You know, Florida state makes like 27 out of 28 free throws and they missed a whole bunch of the front end of one and ones down, down the stretch against North Carolina and let UNC sort of uh, build some cushion, some breathing room. So I like this team a lot. I, I think their defense can be smothering. They've got a ton of guys and they're all gigantic. And, you know, I don't know where Leonard Hamilton has built his cloning lab in Tallahassee, but it's there. Um, and yeah, I, I think that this is about as tough a team outside of that top tier of the Michigans, the Baylors, the Gonzagas. I would say Florida State's in that second bunch that you really don't want to play, uh, especially if you're coming off a quick turnaround. Yeah, I think optic, optically, sorry, Andy, I think optically they're going to have an advantage in the ACC tournament. I, I really do. I think optically they'll have an advantage in the ACC tournament because you could see upsets in the Big Ten. You could see upsets in the Big 12 because they are deeper leagues. Um I think if Florida State goes through, wins its wins the conference regular season, wins the conference tournament, they could sneak into that that two C line. Not that it makes a, a great deal of difference, but I, I think they'll benefit from having that sort of double championship if they get that. And then you're going to see other teams just you know there's only one team that can win the Big Ten tournament. Yeah, I mean you can't you can't share the Big Ten tournament title between Illinois, Iowa, and Ohio State, Michigan. Like one of them is going to go through and, and win. So. Florida State might be able to jump up simply because other teams wind up taking a hit in tougher conference tournaments. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Yeah. 
Yeah, this isn't the old Big 12 football. You can't have two champions at the end of the right. season. Uh, maybe they got to owe it to Leonard Hamilton for not getting to play that team in the tournament last year. Uh, we should mention Hamilton on the verge of a, a five-year contract extension here, mm-hmm. uh, which he'll be 77 by the end of it, which he'll probably still look like he's 50 years old uh, when he's doing that. Uh, the next team, the next highest-seeded team uh, in the ACC, according to this bracketology, kind of surprised me. And I'll start with Brendan on this one because he was their biggest champion earlier this year before he jinxed them into oblivion uh, with a horrible losing streak. Clemson. Uh, Jerry Palm has them as a four seed, which I thought was incredibly what? generous. Yes, I, I'm double checking it. Clemson as a four seed. That's what Can it I says. Four- that That's what it says. Can I be a four seed? Can everyone be a four seed if we're just throwing if we're just throwing out lines like that? I that mean, could- Clemson's a Clemson's a good team, but I, I don't I don't quite know about that. I mean, I think uh, you know defensively, Clemson is there, right? Like we've seen that all season. They were top ten nationally. I think they were even top five at one point in terms of adjusted defensive efficiency. But I mean, this this team still has a problem doing the number one thing that you have to do in a basketball game, which is put the ball in a hole. I mean, if Amir Sims isn't doing it. Uh, Clemson's going to struggle. I mean, he is as singularly important for their success, not necessarily just in terms of points himself, but, I mean, he's their best setup man. Uh, you know, he's their best rebounder. I mean, he he has to do everything, every game for Clemson to play up to its ceiling. And even then, Clemson is not going to be one of these teams that barnstorms you. You know, they're going to outgrit you. They're going to win 60 to, to 54. Um like I like and and you know you know I love Clemson I love Amir Sims I think Brad Brownell uh, doesn't probably get the credit he deserves but also Clemson is a weird place to be at um, but no a four seed that's that's very high especially considering what we've seen from you know some teams like Virginia Tech and uh, the other four seeds must feel insulted that Clemson is there yeah I would say if I'm a 13 seed and I get my choice of four seeds to play with, I, I probably would choose Clemson because I know they can be tremendous defensively. And, and the other day they held Wake Forest to 38 points. My response to that would be, who doesn't hold Wake Forest to 38 points these <laughs> days? Wake Forest has just gone in the tank uh, lately. But Brian, would Clemson scare you as a four seed? If you're 13, I feel like you're counting your blessings if that's the matchup you get. No, I mean, th- this whole discussion had me going down the Clemson Clemson rabbit hole here, um, you know, and, and the first thing you, you see four quad one wins, but you know, a lot of teams have four quad one wins that this cat does, you know, I'm looking at, right. I mean, you know, Minnesota has four quad one wins and, and they're basically plunging off the face of the planet right now and not let alone being a four seed. So that, that shouldn't be determinative. I mean, I think there's an argument that Clemson does, doesn't have bad losses. Uh, I, I don't, I don't see a bad loss. I mean, Virginia tech, Virginia, Georgia tech, Florida state, Duke, like those are all, I mean, other Georgia techs are worse lost. That's, that's not, it's on the road. That's not bad. Uh, but to your point, yeah. I mean, if, if I'm, if I'm up against, if I'm a 13 and I'm going up against a team that is outside of the top 100 in offensive efficiency in an NCAA tournament where someone's going to have to make a shot at some point in time in a big moment, I'm, I'm looking at my chops. I like that matchup. Maybe no matter who is on that 13 line against the Clemson as a four seed. Now, again, the resume Maybe it dictates. Uh, I, I I think that's high um, for looking at basically every metric in terms of where they are and then they are in Ken Palm. That seems awfully high to give them a four. Um, I mean, you're talking about jumping them almost like 15 to 20 spots in, like in terms of where they are in the metrics versus where they'd be in a seed line. So that, but again, don't have bad losses. They, they really don't. They, they've, they've got a decent amount of quality wins. They don't have bad losses. So I, I can see the argument that it, it look record is a good fit. Um, I don't know about a four seed. I, I would be more than happy to see Clemson as a four if I was a 13 rolling in there. Well, another team you maybe at this point wouldn't mind playing the way that they've been going lately is Virginia. Uh, losers of three straight, Florida State, Duke, NC State the other day goes up to the John Paul Jones Arena and, and beats them. Uh, UVA was awful offensively in that game shot 37 percent 28 percent on threes uh brendan what do we make of this slide at uva jerry palm has him as a five seed it feels like that's uh trending downward right now though yeah i mean uh florida state has broken virginia it looks like i mean since virginia ran into the buzzsaw that was florida state and that game was never close the, the cavaliers just haven't looked totally right and 
you know, I, I honestly, you, you talk about Clemson, Brian, and you look at their resume and there's no bad losses. And, you know, four, those, those four of their five losses came right after a COVID pause. So I think that they get probably some benefit of the doubt from that. Virginia is the total opposite situation. You look at the schedule and you're like, who have they beaten? You know, who, where's the, where's the signature win? Where is anything that makes me believe in this team? Because, and we've talked about this before on the podcast and, um, both Eamon Brennan and, and Dana O'Neill sort of have, have touched on this point, but for as good as this offense can be, you know, when Huff is hitting threes, when Hauser's hitting threes, when Murphy's hitting threes, um, they also are, are a weird, like, sort of staggery, you know, helter-skelter half-court unit at times. And, you know, Huff, I think, uh, against NC State, maybe made, like, one of six threes. Um, Kihei Clark wasn't particularly impressive, and he's either, you know, he's either making all the right passes or he's, you know, chucking things up and he's not being incredibly efficient. So I, I think that this is a Virginia team that has slid just enough on defense where you wouldn't, you, you wouldn't hate having to play them, I don't think. Like, obviously, they're still good. I'm not going to bet against Tony Bennett. I'm not going to bet against Huff, Hauser, Murphy, Clark. Like, they have good players. Um, but I think the defensive slippage is what's more concerning to me than the offensive side, just because, you know, they, they have to play Hauser because of what he offers them offensively. And defensively, he's just not it. And, and the extra year in the system has only made him a passable defender. He is by no means a positive for them. So it's tough for Virginia right now. They're still good, but um, certainly I, I think there are vulnerabilities there that have been exposed. And then if you're playing them in the, in the NCAA tournament, there are things that you can find on tape and take, take advantage of. Well, I had Jay in their little uh, player of the year poll a couple of weeks ago. I had Jay Huff as my player of the year. And now <laughs> I would change that based on how Virginia's played and, and how he's played in some of these games. Brian, I know you've written about Jay Huff. Uh, can this UVA team turn this thing around uh, before the end of the season here? So I would I would say it's not defensive slippage in the past three games. It's like a defensive plunge off the side of a cliff. <laughs> I mean, the, like rel- relative to what you know Virginia normally is and does defensively. Like they haven't been the last two games. You you can't say they were horrendous defensively, but they weren't. What but they are relative to what Virginia should be and and has been over time. It really was you know, earlier this year. So on the one hand, that's a, when like the, when you're, when your backbone breaks, that's a problem. That's, that's a real big problem in, in February. On the other hand, if anybody's going to fix something defensively, you kind of feel like it could be Tony Bennett and that staff, like figuring out how to compensate for what somebody or someone isn't doing well. Um, you know, to Brendan's point, you can, you can only really work with what you have, obviously. Like if you don't have, great elite defenders individually so many you can hide a guy um but they if, if they don't pick it up defensively forget about it like this is going to be a very abrupt bad end of the season for this team it but this is also a group of coaches and a group of players who you know if anybody should be able to pick it up defensively it's them I, I'm, I'm super concerned about the way they're defending right now i'm sure tony bennett's very concerned um so we'll see. It's got to be. It's weird that we're talking about a Virginia team that's like not getting better as the year goes on, but actually sort of stumbling here at the end. It's usually sort of the opposite. But yeah, I mean, they they've got to fix it defensively. That that to me is 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 it for them right now. Get the defensive stuff fixed. Figure out a way to plug your holes there. Otherwise, like you're just not going to be able to 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 beat good teams or even average teams really as, as you move on. Well, I'll take these next two teams that we have in tandem here because I think they're kind of similar. Uh, Virginia Tech is a six seed, Louisville as an eight seed. Uh, both had COVID pauses. Uh, both came back from that and looked pretty bad in their first game back, and then they bounced back uh, with nice wins. Virginia Tech loses to Georgia Tech, comes back, and just absolutely blitzes Wake Forest, which, as I said before, everybody's doing. But they shot 54% on threes in that game, uh, which I thought was pretty dang good. Uh, Louisville obviously did not look good in that North Carolina game, but they've since bounced back and won a couple games, including, I thought, you know, and I watched this game, an impressive win at Duke. Uh, these two teams play each other this week, which I think could go uh, a long way in the seeding. Louisville has won 17 straight games in that series, going back to 1992, by the way. You have to go back to the Metro Conference, I believe, uh, for the last time that Virginia Tech uh, beat Louisville. Uh, it's been a long time. Brendan, Virginia Tech a six, Louisville an eight. Uh, possible based on the outcome of this game this week that those could uh, flip here? 
Yeah, I, I I am higher on Virginia Tech than most. I think that the Hokies are a good team, and they just got Tyrese Radford back, which helps a lot. Um, we weren't so sure that that was going to happen this season, you know, given his off-the-court issues. But, um, you know, h- him being back in the fold is a huge boon because that means that Kevin Aluma doesn't have to do everything in terms of rebounding, and uh, I think that's huge for Mike Young's team. You know, th- and as for Louisville... This is a team that I can't totally figure out. You know, Eamon Brennan has said it a couple of times in Bubble Watch. You know, Louisville is his blind spot of sorts. Um, I don't really know what to make of Louisville. Like, I know Carlick Jones is good, and he's a lot of fun to watch. And, you know, when he's at his best, I think so is David Johnson. You know, but, like, some of their other guys, like Malik Williams is back, which helps. But, I mean, I don't know if I'm buying Sam Williamson or anyone else sort of beyond that, those those top three guys. Um, So, I, I... Going into this week, going into the ACC tournament, I feel much more confident about Virginia Tech than I do about Louisville. Um, I think that the Hokies are much more consistent, even coming back from the COVID pause. I think that the way they play, I think, you know, the array of three-point shooters, the defense they play, Keve Aluma is as prone as anyone outside of, you know, Justin Champagny, who's capable of putting up 30 in an ACC game. Um, So I really like Virginia Tech's chances much more than I do Louisville's, and maybe that's me not giving Louisville the respect it needs, especially after a big win against Duke. But, um, you know, we D- Duke is not the normal Duke. You know, that this is a good win for Louisville, but it's not like, oh, my God, they beat top 10 Duke. You know, they beat a team that is still hanging on by a thread to even make the NCAA tournament. So let's maybe slow the brakes breaks a little bit on Louisville. Um, but, no, I'm, I'm excited to see if Virginia Tech can get back to playing at the level it was before this COVID pause. Yeah, I think Tech is an interesting team. I, th- I think I'd feel a little more confident in them if Jalen Cohn was healthy and they could get him back in the lineup. Brian, I'm curious, do you have a strong opinion about either one of these teams? It, 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 at times, it's tough to figure them out because, you know, they had, you know, two and a half weeks where neither of them played for a stretch there. They're like the same. I mean, I mean, they're, they're, they're basically, <laughs> I, I think this is a huge game because they, they really don't have, a, they haven't piled up a lot of quality wins between them. They don't have like those sort of behind sort of, you know, subtly that record. There's a, there's a really a lot of good wins, you know, and there's not a lot of beef on, on with either of these teams right now. Like it's interesting. I don't understand how tech lost by 20 to Penn stick. I'm just, I'm looking at that result right now. And I think that's gotta be one of the most confounding results of the entire season, how Virginia tech could, go down by 20 to Penn state at home. Like just, if I, re- if I remember right, Penn state just shot the lights out in that game. Like just, yeah, I mean, it's just everything went in. yeah. Um, but I, I, I think the ceiling for Virg- I like the ceiling for Virginia tech more um, when they're at full strength, like, like Brendan alluded to, I, I think, you know, they, they can, I, I think they have a higher ceiling. I, I think there's more there for them. I think they've gotten some pretty, obviously some pretty high quality wins. Some of their losses have been pretty tight. Um, some of the stuff you can't explain, you know, you, you lose at Pitt, you lose to Penn State. Maybe it's something they'd have a problem with Pennsylvania t- teams, the like Keystone or something like that. But um, yeah, I, I think Virginia Tech's ceiling is higher. I think it's a huge game because I just think both of them need more better wins. You know, if you're going to separate, beat it, beat a team that's right there, get another quad one win. And I, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's it's a big showdown. I mean, if we're talking about trying to you know jockey for position, this is it. You gotta you gotta win a game like because in terms of high breather team. I think it's very possible that this ends up being a game that determines who gets a double buy in the ACC tournament. You know, adding on to what Brian's saying about the stakes, I think that. Um, you know, the, the loser of this team very easily could play themselves into another game. And for both of these teams who are prone to, you know, not always playing a one basketball, that's a, that's a dangerous proposition. So this game certainly even beyond just racking up a quality win, I think in terms of making your life harder in the ACC tournament, um, the loser is, is certainly going to regret losing this one. All right, let's get to the real interesting teams that are squarely on the bubble. Georgia Tech. Uh, Jerry Palm has Georgia Tech in the first four. Uh, the Yellow Jackets have played better lately. They, they've won four straight. Uh, they had a nice win against Virginia Tech. They handled Syracuse at home. Uh, Steve is number 39 in the net, two and six against quad one teams, four to go oh, against quad two teams. Uh, you still look at that schedule and you go, man, they lost to Georgia State to start the season. They lost to Mercer to start the season. Is that going to haunt them? 
uh, Brendan, at the, at the end of this run here, they can look back at those two games and go, man, what the heck happened? Yeah, they, they might have uh, cost themselves an NCAA tournament berth in the first week of the season. You know, I mean, that's the reality of the situation. Like, this was supposed to be the year for Georgia Tech. This was supposed to be the year that Passner had experienced guys capable of winning, capable of going to the tournament, no postseason ban. Um, and those first two games were just total duds. And we can talk all we want about how good they've been since then. We can talk about, you know, I think Jose Alvarado is an all ACC guy. He's one of the more underrated players in the whole country. His numbers are crazy on both ends of the floor. He's uh, got lightning quick hands. Moses Wright, he's good. Uh, Michael DeVoe, when he's on, I mean, when he is on and all three of those guys are clicking for the Yellow Jackets, Josh Pastor has a really good team. Um, DeVoe doesn't do that every single game, so sometimes they're a little bit more inconsistent. But yeah, I think those first two games are... That, that could be end up what, what keeps Georgia Tech out. I think, I, I mean, I would really like to see Georgia Tech get in. You know, they're doing everything they can to help themselves of one four straight. Um, but this game tomorrow against Duke at home, I, I think that probably determines things in a, in a lot of respects. You know, you beat Duke, that's five in a row to end the season. This is against the Duke team that, again, had just won four in a row before the Louisville loss. Um, and I think that Georgia Tech has proven that it's capable. The first time these teams played, they were right in the game. So, uh, I, I like Georgia Tech. I'd like to see them get in. This was the year that they were building towards. So for them to not make the tournament this season, especially if it's because of those first two games, I mean, that would just be a, a catastrophic way for Josh Passner to see this season play out. Brian, I'm, I'm curious, if ever there was a year where you could disregard how a season started, I mean, it's such a weird season. I mean, could the committee look at this and go... You know, you really have to look at how a team is playing lately to truly judge them in a season like this, or do they have to take the full picture into account? So I'm going off what Mitch Barnhart has said, uh, the selection committee chair, when he when he's spoken publicly about this stuff. And their perspective on wins and losses and when they came and when it doesn't, it hasn't changed. They all count. They all count the same. They're not going to say that just because something happened in November, it, it it counts less or it's you know less impactful on your resume because of the circumstances under which the season started. So it all counts. I mean, I, I've done the mock bracket thing. I'm sure we've all done the mock bracket thing with the NCAA, and, and the process is like that loss or that win on November 25th counts just as much as that loss or win on February 25th. It, it's it's all the same, and I think. Based on what Mitch Barnhart has said, the committee is going to proceed as such, and that's not good to attack because there just aren't a lot of great wins. Um, they're gonna they're those those first two losses are an anchor, and I love Jose Alvarado. Like I mean, in my last mailbag, somebody asked me who like some of the more unsung guys were in the country, and I think he's probably the captain of like the all unsung player team. Like that guy is is really good at both ends of the floor. And he's just playing for kind of a team that's been in the shadows all season. Um, so, but it, one guy being great doesn't get you into the NCAA tournament. And two losses to start the season to Georgia State and Mercer can keep you out of it because they're, it's all the same. It, it, I think the process, in order to uncomplicate the process, they're going to have a process that looks pretty similar to the way it has been in the past. And that's, that's not great for Josh Pastner. Well, they got some good news. They might get some scholarships back in this whole NCAA sanctions thing. So, you know, plus one for Georgia Tech in that regard. Uh, Duke is the other team we have not covered yet on the bubble. Uh, Jerry Palm has them as the first four out. He actually lists them as the first team of the first four out. I don't know if those are ordered uh, based on how he would put them in. But uh, 11 to 9 overall, 9 and 7 in the ACC after that loss to Louisville the other night. Uh it's a team that seemed like it was coming together and then a, a step back in that game in overtime. They play at Georgia Tech, at UNC down the stretch. Brendan, can this team still make an impression and get in? Yeah, win these, win these next two games. <laughs> you know, win these two games, that's that's the best thing that Duke can do. And especially, you know, UNC, that's, that's a marquee chance now. You know, this is a UNC team that, as we have said, looks a lot better after that Florida State win. That would mean a lot more. So... Yeah, I, I think, you know, the biggest thing for Duke, though, is you know that Matthew Hurt is going to do his thing. He had 37 against Louisville. Um, you know, he's been a walking bucket ever since Jalen Johnson opted out of the program. He's just been able to hunt his shot, and that has worked out beautifully for both him and Mike Krzyzewski. But uh, the stat that I look at from that Louisville game, 
the combined shooting stat line from Duke's, you know, three-headed guard monster, their backcourt of DJ Stewart, Jeremy Roach, and Jordan Goldwire, those guys made three of their 20 shots. That Oof. is that is bad basketball. That is that is guys not knowing their <laughs> roles. That is guys trying to do too much. And that is not a formula that's going to get Duke into the tournament. So, yes, Duke does still have a path. I think we can agree on that. I think that, you know, given these next two games and the, the runway of the ACC tournament, I still think there's a path. But that path is very narrow. There is no room for missteps. And I think that if Duke loses to Georgia Tech or to UNC this week, then I have a really tough time seeing them getting in without winning the whole the whole dang thing in Greensboro, um, which is... You know, maybe that's possible. Who knows at this season? But certainly, I think you know Duke's margin for error is much thinner than it would have been had they held on against Louisville. Um, but you know, I'm also not going to bet against the guy with more wins than anyone else in the history of college basketball. Yeah, Matthew Hurt was phenomenal in that game. 15 for 21 uh, from the field. Everybody else on Duke's team was 11 for 37, 29 uh, percent. Yeah. So that was pretty much the tale. Of that Brian, I'm curious, would we be having this discussion? with any other team if it wasn't named Duke. And I know Brendan just mentioned right there, he's like, oh, they got a big game against North Carolina coming up. Well, if they win that, they would be beating what we're calling an 11 seed in the tournament. Uh, so if you take away the names, Duke and North Carolina will be treating that as such a big win. And, and if we don't treat it as such a big win, uh, would that be such a big lifter for a team not named Duke right now? Yeah, this is, this is a weird case where I'm not real sure what Duke has to hang its hat on right now. Um, like in the net you're sandwiched by Toledo and Memphis. Like why, why is, what, why are we giving Duke a great chance of making the NCAA tournament? Right. I, I don't think they can lose it. I mean, I don't lose before the ACC tournament semifinals for sure. Like I, I don't I, like where, where is, where, what good has this team done? One quad one win out of 20 games. You know, against like, the Virginia team that is sliding backwards as fast as yeah, possible. Yeah, I mean it's 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 like the arg. This is the one thing. Like I, I'm generally sort of against the whole like name brand thing carries you through. Like at the end of the day, they're going to evaluate. But like, why talking about Duke being even close? I mean, maybe maybe a little close, but like on the cusp of being in the NCAA tournament right now, I don't see it. Like they can get there. Like Brendan said, there's a path, but you can't lose again for a good two weeks at this point and they're 11 and nine. Like what confidence do we have that a team that is barely above 500 is somehow going to go on this miraculous run to end the regular season. There's they're so there the three point shooting the other night to me is an aberration. I mean, they have been pretty, pretty there. The shooting, I think you can maybe look at possibly that being like just a one-off bad night or, or one of a few uh, one-off bad nights here and there. So if they, if, if that shooting comes around, then it's, then it's maybe a different, it's a different discussion, but man, like, you know, where's the beef as they used to say, like what we're, what, I, I don't, I don't see it. Like, I, I do think we're having this discussion because it's Duke. Like I really do. Brian, does your perspective change at all considering the Jalen Johnson situation, given that he missed a couple of games earlier this season, given that he's left since he's left, they've won four or five. Does that, it all factor in based on what you've heard from Mitch and from the selection committee. They're going to obviously judge you on who you have. Right. So like, they're going to say like, all right, you know, again, this is how they're performing with the team they're going to bring to Indianapolis. So like, that is a good point that if you, that if you're sort of on this uptick towards in this season with the group you have, that will help. I, I guess my, I guess my point is, I don't know how we've gotten to this point right now. <laughs> like, I mean, <laughs> if we, like how, how, how we're discussing Duke, you know, basically done overall, like four or five wins is suddenly now like vaulted you above this very, very unimpressive resume so far, but yeah, you're right. I mean, they're going to, they'll say, this is the team. And this is with anybody. This is the team you're bringing to Indianapolis this is how you look with that team that you're bringing to Indianapolis. And so, okay, we are in, you're out, here's where you're slotted. That will be a factor that nor that normally is, and, and will be a factor here. I, I just still think that I think there's zero margin for it. Like we've talked about, there just, there just is, I don't care how good they've looked, you know, and, and I also don't know how much of a deep dive the committee will do into like the Jalen Johnson chemistry factor for the entire season. Um, I, I think that the people who are responsible for the reporting on various conferences, We'll see how much they dig deep. Like, and we don't know. We don't know how much the guys in the room are going to 
you know, really go behind the scenes to figure out, okay, where, where are there chemistry issues that have been sort of resolved in? And that gives Duke another boost on top of just winning some games, but um, very, 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 very thin, practically non-existent margin for error. Well, Duke plays at Georgia Tech on Tuesday. Who, he, give me a winner, both of you guys. Who, who's going to win that game? Oh boy, hmm. I think Duke. <laughs> I, I mean, I if yeah. I think I think Duke will win. I think that Duke is. I think that Duke has the talent advantage. I think that Georgia Tech has the experience advantage. And I think right now, uh, I would also, like Brian, I'd consider the shooting against Louisville more of an aberration than a troubling trend to be worrying about. Um, But also, you know, Georgia Tech, Georgia Tech's fighting for its life too. So I think that Georgia Tech, I think that Georgia Tech will come out, they're going to give Duke their best punch, but you know, I, I would pick Duke, but do I feel confident about that? Absolutely not. I think the path there is, is that Georgia Tech's not not close to elite defensively. So when you talk about if you're coming off a bad game and you have proven in the past that you can make a bunch of threes, you know, eight threes, nine threes, maybe you could crawl up to double digits on a good night. Like this is it. They don't defend. Georgia Tech doesn't defend the arc real well. They don't. They, you know, teams generally high percentage of them against this team overall. So you have a sort of a, a soft landing here. You had a bad night shooting law of averages said you may swing back and you're not exactly facing the toughest defense, you know, in the history of college basketball. When you go out there, you're going to have, you're going to get, you're going to, you're going to get your looks. You're, you're going to get looks. You're going to get good shots. So I think the pendulum swinging back, I think a little bit is what would make me lead Duke in this scenario. All right, we're probably going to skip over Syracuse and NC State here. They're not probably worth talking about. It, all, Jim, all due, Jim Beheim wishes he could skip that game, too. <laughs> all, due, all due respect to NC State, which beat UVA and has won four straight. It's a nice little streak, especially uh, doing it after the Devin Daniels injury. But I, I don't think, you know, barring winning the ACC tournament, either of those teams are going to get in. I, I do want to end this thing on uh, something that I think will be an interesting debate coming up, and that who who do you think the ACC Player of the Year is going to be? And I have no idea. So I'll, I'll leave it to the two basketball experts on the podcast. Uh, and Brendan, I'll start with you. Uh, who you got? I mean, it's it's a crowded field, and there's just no obvious answer. It's not just a crowded field; it's a gross field. And picking picking someone out of this field <laughs> is like, do you? Who, what do you care more about? Do you want a good player on a bad team, or do you want a not as awesome player on a better team? Like, I you know, to me, it's like. There are a number of guys that you could make an argument for, and all of them I would be able to poke holes in. You know, Jay Huff at Virginia. Okay, well, they're in a tailspin right now, and he has certainly not been at his sharpest. Uh, you know, he, he's gotten a little bit of the Brian Hamilton curse. Um, or Justin Champagny. He's basically the only yes, guy that Jeff— a lot of it. A lot of it, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Justin Champagny is basically the only guy who still plays for Pitt at this point. I don't know what's going on right there, but that's <laughs> it's a disaster. I mean, do you go with him? Uh, his production hasn't been quite as elite. Do you go with someone like Carly Jones, who plays for a Louisville team that's just, you know, basically the definition of meh? Um, Keve Aluma just came back from a COVID pause. Again, Virginia Tech is sort of a meh team. Matthew Hurt is is probably statistically the best performer right now but again we're talking about a team that's in all likelihood you know has no margin for error to make the ncaa tournament so oh boy all that said i think right now i probably still go with the the highest combination of team success and individual success and right now i'd still go with jay huff um but certainly i do think that there are arguments to be made for a number of other guys um but no i mean i don't even know who my first five you know, all ACC guys would be nonetheless, uh, you know, my, my specific ACC player of the year. I mean, can, can we just pick it up next year? Can we just take a pause and not name anyone this year? It's, it's been such a strange, weird year. And, uh, you know, I, I just really don't know who you pick. I think you could ask 10 people, get 10 different answers. Yeah, it's tough. I, I kind of like, I'm looking at Carly Jones and Keve Aluma this week in that game. And I want to see how they play against each other and how it handles, uh, Brian, who would you pick right now? I will say this: if if Brendan's right and Justin Champagny is the only player left playing for Pitt and he's going one on five, I, I might give him the benefit of the doubt uh, <laughs> in the Player of the Year race. Like if you can play another team all by yourself, no, um, he can go up against Boston I, I think, College's four scholarship always, players. 
Yeah. He probably could. Yeah. The, uh, the, four, the four walk-ons that have to be, that have to be out there for Boston college. No. Um, I, I think it, it, it like based on the very, the pervasive madness to borrow from Brendan of basically everybody in this league, like you're probably just going to go with the guy with the best numbers. And, and, and it might be over these last one or two games for each team, a guy makes a definitive statement and kind of just, you know, puts himself out. Like if Matthew Hurt drops another 30 in two, two more straight games, like maybe that's it. Maybe that puts Matthew Hurt over the top. Cause normally I go with like, okay, who is the best start with the best player on the best teams. Start with the guy who's most valuable in that way. Like player of the year to me, it, there's a certain value you have to bring to, to elevate your team uh, and put your team over the top winning wise. Um, and that's tough in the ACC this year because no one's really doing that. No one's really sort of elevating their team single-handedly or even close to it uh, to, to a level that you can. So, I mean, I, I think it's basically just going to be numbers. I would probably say Matthew Hurt right now, just because I, th- there's something you could probably make craft the argument for Matthew Hurt that he's been so good that he's carrying Duke to give it at least a fraction of a shot here at the end of the season. And I, I may, and, and maybe that push allows you and, and to the point we were talking about before Jalen Johnson, not being there. Well, is this the Matthew Hurt you might've seen all year long? you know, if Jalen Johnson wasn't sort of in and out and, and a lot of questions swirling about that. So again, like, like Brendan said, you could poke a million holes in that argument and bring up a lot of other people, but absent a really, really good player on a really, on any really, really good teams, I think it might just be a year where you go with the numbers. And if Matthew Hurd, especially if he has two big games here to end the re- end the regular season, that that might be your guy. Well, it's a very meh field of candidates and a very meh ACC, but hopefully this was not a meh podcast. Uh, Brian, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and uh, lending your expertise. Anytime, guys. A lot of fun. Thank you, sir. We appreciate you. All right, that's going to do it for the show. Thanks, everybody, for listening. If you haven't yet, go rate and review us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. We like those five-star ratings. It helps get the word out to other people. Subscribe to The Athletic, too. You can listen to us ad-free on The Athletic. Go to theathletic.com slash pod. Follow us, all of us on Twitter as well. I'm at AndyBitterVT. Brendan is at, at Brendan R. Marks. And Brian is at underscore Brian underscore Hamilton. Don't get taken in by, by imposter Brian Hamilton's out there. <laughs> Remember the underscores in that Twitter handle. This was a fun one. We'll be back again next week to talk more ACC hoops and teams on the bubble.